Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. How many of you are awake right now? Yeah, you're awake. All right, good, 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 good to hear. Listen, we are going to um, hop back into this series, Old School. I just want to thank you for um, letting us take uh, to step away from uh, our series last weekend and talk about the importance of life groups and uh, connecting and being discipled here at our church. And uh, this is, is, a, is a very big thing. You're going to be, uh, be hearing more and more and more about this as we, as we prog- progress. And so uh, just to give you a, an update, our goal here is to have 50, five zero life group leaders that we can kick the new year off with. And so we're going to start that training process um, in the next couple of, of, of weeks. You should be receiving some information very soon. But Rob and Beth Davis are our life group pastors. It's these guys on, on the screen. Um, at least one of them is good, good looking. I don't say who. But you can reach her at Beth.davis <laughs> at Beth.davis at newlifechurch.tv if you are interested at all in leading a life group. Like Beth said last week, if you just had that, just this small voice inside of you that said, hey, I think I, I should do this or could do it, just let us talk to you, okay? Just, just come to this initial meeting, uh, hear our vision for it, and see where we're going next. And so if you would be so kind as to reach out to them via this email address, we will get in touch with you and get you lined up on these trainings that are coming up, okay? And so thank you so much for doing that. When we think of, of old school stuff, um, there are a lot of things that come to my mind. Now, I was, I was a 90s person, and so this is going to kind of come from, from that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to list off some stuff, and if you ever did any of these, I just want you to raise your hand. Okay, that's all. Are, are y'all with me? Okay, I'm going to call it off. You just raise your hand. Okay, trapper keepers. If you had a trapper keeper, okay, yeah, I had a I had a Green Lantern trapper keeper, and then I graduated to Star Wars, and then I ended with Dukes of Hazard, for obvious reasons. <laughs> okay, um, swatch watches I had a swatch watch. Okay, the number went down there, but uh, Sony Walkman. Okay, this was pre iPod. Yeah, uh, Sony Discman. Okay, you graduated to the disc. Yeah, um, you had a pair of Doc Martens. Okay, yeah. You still have a pair of Doc Martens? <laughs> um, if you wore a pager, okay, yeah, you remember that? It was so hot. I had a pager in, in, in the 90s, and people would ask me, are you a doctor? And I'd be like, no, but I might be one day. Everybody had, had this pager, and if you re- remember, it was uh, pre-everybody having a cell phone, and so you would get paged, and you had to run and find a, a phone. Uh, so your friends would like, you know, we, we had all these codes, like at a certain numbers meant meet us at certain places and, and certain things, you know, and, um, you know, you'd wear them to church, and you'd, you'd, you pr- hoped and prayed it went off, so people thought you were important. Um, if you ever wore overalls with a strap down, like like just one strap off, and you're not a farmer, okay? If you're not a farmer, okay, yeah, okay. How about how about you ever played hacky sack? Okay, you remember this? Remember how dumb that that was? Hours and hours and hours of kicking items, uh, the, this this round sack in in the uh, in the parking lot. Um, you couldn't ever ever hit it. You know, like my my group, the highest we ever got was like three. You know, um, how how about 
Yo quiero Taco Bell. Anybody remember that? Okay, little dog. Okay, have you ever stood in line at a Blockbuster video? Okay, this is pre the, uh, some of y'all are still hitting the red box. Um, and then how about um, if you know who was in West Philadelphia born and raised? Okay, yeah, a lot of you. Okay, so we, we obviously go on and on and on and on, and the genre can go on and on and on, and the ages and groups can go on and on. There's a lot of things that come to mind when we think of old school. And the point of this series was to take really, really old stories and kind of re- revisit them and bring them back a, a little bit. And so today I'm going to talk about a very, very old Bible character. I preached a few weeks ago about David, and um, today I'm going to talk about Abraham. And this guy first comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 11. Obviously, Genesis is a very, very old book, but I'm actually going to speak about him from Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to go there uh, and follow me, you, you can. This is what we call the faith chapter. So Hebrews 11 um, is going to be talking to us about by faith this and by faith this person did this and by faith this person did that. And we're going to focus upon the life of Abraham. Now, a lot of us grew up singing this song that said, Father Abraham. Remember this one? Where's the Baptist people at? Come on. Yeah, okay. I, I, I learned that song at Southern Baptist VBS. We sang it every, every time. And um, a quick history about Abraham. Abraham is obviously a central figure to the Christian faith. Oftentimes, he is deemed as the father of faith or the patriarch of faith. He lived in the Middle East during the Bronze Age, and he hails from the city of Ur, which today would be Iraq. He was extremely wealthy, and um, his story goes on and on and on. It covers so many chapters, you can't get it all in in a message. This would have to be a life series uh, to cover Abraham. But uh, when Abraham comes on the scene in Genesis, God is actually trying to establish a people. And he is looking and searching for who is going to be the tip of the spear in that. Like, who can bear the weight of that? Who can, who can um, teach principle and who is, is living righteously? And he, he uses Abraham. And so he speaks to him, and they are friends, and it's this amazing relationship between Abraham and, 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 and God. So Abraham is a Hebrew Ironically, Abraham is also a key figure in Islam. Uh, his son Ishmael, which we'll talk about in just a minute, um, is deemed as the father of the Arab people. So he's also a very, very central figure in, in the Quran. And so um, most people know Abraham based upon a couple of things. He was the older guy who had a child with an older lady. And we know him from that. Then we read on to where he almost sacrifices this son. And then his nephew is Lot, who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, whose wife gets turned into a pillar of salt. And then later, and here's where Scripture is PG-13, and this is awful, but later he circumcises himself. I want to pause and give God thanks for modern medicine just right now. Just, Father, we thank you for it, <laughs> right? I mean, just you, you just read through this story, and if you, want a, if you just want a good version of like a Jerry Springer show, just read like, like Genesis 1 through like 18, 
Okay, and that that will just suffice for some of the craziest drama that you've ever ever seen. And Abraham is involved in this. Lots of story, lots of stuff going on. But the one thing we're going to focus on today is we're going to learn from Abraham something that he had a PhD in, and that is faith. Okay, faith. When we think of faith, we tend to think about the stories of these incredible figures. And we think in our minds that they were already this way, that they like, you know, were set up or established already, have like this um, uh, pre, you know, existing condition of faith, but that's not true. They grew it and established it every day the same way that you and I do. And so the fortunate thing for us was that we're able to see the end of their lives. We're able to see what all played out. We're able to see how everything unfolded because of the way they trusted God. And then our faith is fed based upon their story, and we don't even have a clue right now about the impact we're making in the lives of other people based upon our own faith. So I want to look today and give you four tests, none of these are going to be strange to you, that each of us are going to experience or you are experiencing right now in your life and how we can handle them by faith. So I want to preface that statement by saying, if you're going through a test, it does not mean that God has disapproved you. Okay, And, and sometimes uh, in our humanity, we equate terrible things to the fact that our behavior is somehow not uh, becoming honoring to God. And it's now a punishment. Okay? And this is something that the New Testament church struggle with, and it's something that the modern church really struggle with, and now the postmodern church really struggles with it, because number one, we want to be punished, and number two, we have passed on this version of almost a Greek mythology type of mentality about, about God. I do something, I reap the whirlwind. I, I, something goes wrong in my life, I've done, I've done something. Okay, now I'm not going to say that choices and bad choices can land you into some terrible circumstances. That's a true life principle, okay? But God is not disapproved of you if you are going through something this this morning, okay? So I want to start off with 1 Peter and tell you what he is saying to his audience in chapter 1, verse 7, and it just says says this. You guys follow along with me. These trials, everybody say these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than than, than gold. He's saying your trial is going to grow your faith. Your trial is going to prove that your faith has some genuineness to it, okay? So tests are such a part of life And rather than avoid them or pray against them, we should expect them. We should anticipate them. So it's like school, all right? Tests still remain the way to prove that you know the material, and they're coming. So from the first day that school starts, you know you're going to get in there, start getting to know material. But eventually, the teacher is going to say, it's time a test. We've got to prove that, that you're getting this, that you're retaining it. I've taken a lot of tests in my day, and 
there are a few different kinds of tests. We all know that finals week, big. We anticipate it from the beginning. Finals are coming. And so we try to do our best. We take notes. We listen. We get in study groups. We do all kinds of stuff so that we can take on finals. These are big tests. And then there's the terrible form of test called pop quizzes. I don't even know if that still happens. But pop quizzes was like a good morning class. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Get out a piece of paper. <laughs> you know, like this is, gonna, this is terrible. It's like, I'm only going to ask you five questions, but they're 20 points each. <laughs> you know, I love teachers. I love you. I'm just giving you a hard time. My favorite test was open book test. And I prayed many times over tests, so I will tell you what my, my, my method for praying over tests was this. First, God bring back to memory everything that I studied. And then my second wave of prayer was, God, help me remember anything I heard in class that I was too lazy to write down. And then third, I was like, God, give me the supernatural Holy Spirit gift of knowledge right now in this moment. Just give me the answer. Okay, anybody ever prayed that over your test? You're laying hands on it. I mean, suddenly you became Pentecostal. You were raised, you were raised Baptist, but not in this moment. No. Oh, no. If you had oil, you'd pour it out. Just praying over, oh, God, you know. So the first test I want to talk to you about is this, and that's major transitions. And let's go to Hebrew chapter 11, verse 8, and we're going to look at Abraham. This is, this is what the author is saying. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Okay, watch this next line. Even though he did not know where he was going. That is impressive. Verse 10 for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Even though he did not know where he was going, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he obeyed and he went. I have a hard time believing that Abraham never asked the question, where? Where am I going? I mean, this is a valid question. God, I hear you, but where am I going? You and I are going to have the where question our entire lives. For Abraham, it was about a change of location. And that may be the case for some of you, but it's not the case most of the time. It's not about a location. It is about a transition. Almost a what's next. Where? Where am I to go? Where, where am, am I headed? I, I've reached this, this crossroad and I don't know where. I don't know the next step. I don't know the next direction. We always get anxious during these moments. We feel that a season has ended with something and we're wanting to know the where of it. Where, where, where do I go from here? And so we ask questions like, where will I go to college? What happens now? I mean, I've reached the end. I graduate. Where do I go to college? Where will I work? Where will I work now that this season has ended, now that it's over? Where is Mr. Right? 
Where is the woman of my dreams? Where will we retire? For some of you, it's such a hard time that you're saying, where will help come from? And I want you to look back at verse 10 because it says, for he, being Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is incredible insight into Abraham's attitude. I don't know where, but I'm looking forward to it. This is a good principle for us to get. In our lives, when we come across these moments, we can say, I don't know exactly where, I don't know what's next, I don't know what's around the corner, but I serve a God who does, and that is faith. It is faith to say, I'm looking forward to the what's next in my life. I'm looking forward to the where. I'm looking forward to it. Why? Because I know that as God leads me, it's going to be exciting. It's going to have adventure. It's going to have His hand on it. And so as long as He is leading, I want to go. Where? Test two is a promise on pause. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard from God. I don't know how the Lord speaks to you. I've taught many, many times on how the Lord speaks in this day and time. We wish that there was a lot of Old Testament things ha- happening. Not, not, not the part where like holes are opening up and people are falling into them, but the part where like an angel of the Lord appears and says, fear not, and then gives you something really good about your life. We wish this was happening. Uh, now, you know, we wish that it was like just, I mean, I'd take a text. You know, we just... Flip me a text. Tell me what to do next. Um, you know, we pray, God, I just, I just want clarity. You know, I just want to know concretely what's happening. And so I do believe that God is speaking through His Word, through people, um, through all kinds of ways, through His Holy Spirit, through His church. He's speaking. And when He does, a lot of times as believers, we call that a promise. Like God told me He was going to do something for me or through me or with me. And it gives you and I purpose, and that purpose is a big part of us having a life full of joy. Like we're attached or tethered to something that is bigger than ourselves, and that gives us great purpose. But a lot of times the promise comes with a waiting period. And we have to to go through the processes and the seasons of the waiting in order to get to the promise. Abraham was no different. This promise of him being a father, this this promise of him fathering nations, had to go through a season and a period of of waiting. And so in Hebrews 11 verse 9, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now, there's that word promise is used twice in verse 9, promised land and of the same promise. But the question that comes with the promise on pause is this, when? So this is a big test for us. It's like, if God is speaking to you and you feel this morning that at some point in your life, I don't care when it was, I don't care if it was when you were a child, it becomes when? When is this going to unfold? I remember the very first time that I felt just attracted to the local church 
in a way where I felt like it was different than, than the friends around me. I was 12 years old. And I remember just coming home and from school, and man, I just had like my, my I, I was, it was 19, well, I'm not going to tell you when, but I, I was 12 and I had this thirst for Scripture. Like I would come home from school and I would just open the Bible, and it's going to sound strange unless, well, it's going to sound strange, but I would just smell the Bible. You, you, you like a good smell? You like, you like the way your Bible smells? No, Okay, I'll talk about that later. A life group, the Bible-smelling life group. I just loved it. And I would read the stories that I could make sense of, and I'd stay away from all the stuff that, you know, scared me. And, and I, would, I would just, you know, try to dive into it. And I just remember thinking, I wonder if there is just like a way that I could like be involved in, in this story in my day and time. I was 12, 12 years old. I've, I've told you many times that by the time I was 16 years old, I was at my mom's house. And I, I've told you this, but I, ha I had a jam box. That's another old school Jam, jam box, jam box. Had a jam box, two speakers on the side, round speakers on the side, and a tape deck in the middle, baby. And I'd put on like you know some, put on some black gospel. I'd get hype, y'all, in my bedroom by my, all by myself, and I'd preach a little bit to nobody. And I'd say, the choir's coming back to lead us. Y'all stand on your feet and worship. I'd press play again. <laughs> but in my mind, I was having some church, y'all, okay? My mom would say, you are the weirdest kid. God has got to do something with you. It, it's, it, only He can fix this. I, it, to me, when I look back at that, it, it's this waiting season. It's this, like... A 12-year-old kid like hearing from God and going, I don't, I don't even know what to make of this. All I got is all these thoughts and emotions and stuff. I got no structure to put it into play. I don't know what's going to happen. But it was just this waiting, 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 waiting. And we're asking ourselves, when? When's the promise coming? And God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a promise, land. Okay, but when? And when you look at this big, long story, you see that for a long time, he and his children were nomads. I mean, they're just wandering around in this promised land. In fact, Abraham not only waited his life, but Isaac's life and Jacob's life, three generations, and they were still wandering around. They couldn't settle down. No place was home. Every day was a journey. And I mean, you, you can imagine, Dad, when are we going to get a real house? I mean, imagine Sarah, Abraham, that's enough. Like, I'm ready. Like, let's settle in somewhere. But the hardest kind of tests are when you don't see the finish line. Now, I tell you often that every trial has an expiration date, and I, I believe that, but when we can't see it, when we, when we can't see the tape stretched across the end, to be that constant motivator of like, we're going to get there. All I got to do is keep putting one step in front of the other, and eventually I will cross the tape well. Those are the hard. That, that would be a promise on pause. I don't want you to forget that David, as much as we highlight him and look at his life and celebrate his accolades and all of these things and see ourselves in his life, you have to keep in mind that, that when the prophet came out and anointed him as the king of Israel, he didn't move up to Saul's house. He didn't move up there. 
You know what he did? He went back to shepherding. Like, hey, you're going to be the next king of Israel. This is a wonderful moment. Go back to the sheep. It, it was years and years and years later when this finally came to fruition. And it was a hard road. It came with a lot of challenges. And you look at all these, you look, look at Joseph sharing his dream with his brothers. You got to be careful who you tell your dream to. It will put you in a hole. He ended up in prison and being sold off and lied about. Constant ups and downs and ups and downs, and God would elevate him, and then somebody would push him down, and then God would elevate him, and somebody would push him down. It was this, this process, and maybe, maybe somebody in this room today, you feel the exact same way. Like you've been carrying this promise for years and years and years and years, and maybe you're, you're excited about it, and you want it to happen, and you believe it, and you're trying to have faith, and you're trying to make all the right moves. you got this big win. When is the process going to end? When are things going to get better? When am I going to have a baby? When am I going to get well? When will I graduate? When will this be over? And the question, when, comes with a big temptation. Because I don't know when it's going to happen, but here's what, what we often do. And Abraham did the same thing. The when gets exhausting. So we start looking for shortcuts. If, if God's not going to make it happen, then I'll make it happen. And this happened in this story, okay? Now I want you to listen to how Jerry Springer this is. Sarah comes to him one day. Abraham. Yeah, baby. You know how God told us that we were going to have a baby? Uh-huh. We don't have a baby. And have you seen me? Have you seen you? Yeah, honey, I, I, I get it. We're not looking too good. We're getting old. And Sarah says, have you seen my personal assistant? You talking about Hagar? Yeah. You seen her? Yeah, I see her. You know, working, running errands, doing stuff. Yeah, but have you seen her? You got to speak English to me, Sarah. I, I don't. I don't know what you're talking. About. Sorry, speak Hebrew to me. I don't know what you're talking about. I want you to take my personal assistant and have a baby. And Abraham's like, are you sure you want me to do this? Like, like you've thought about this. I've thought about it. I want you to do this. You're like, you're sure? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a baby. We're, we're old. Go in, into Hagar. Have, have a baby. So he goes into Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Has Ishmael. Fourteen years later, Ishmael is, is a teenager. And by that time, 
God's timing is unfolded, and Sarah has had Isaac. And somewhere in this, the story's very vague, but we get just enough of it. Ishmael is like making fun of Isaac. Mm-mm. Mm. That ain't going to happen but one time. Sarah goes into Abraham and says, listen, you got to get rid of her and her baby. Get rid of them. And Abraham's like, you're the one that told me to do this. I ask you. I said, are you sure you want it? And you said, yeah, I'm sure you want it. I said, Hagar, you want me to go into Hagar? Yeah, you told me to go into Hagar. And so I did. I went to Hagar. Now we got Ishmael. Now you're telling me to go. And God says, you better listen to your wife. The King James Version says, hearken. I love it. Okay. Hearken to the voice of your wife. They tried their best to make something happen. Listen, and it took a terrible turn. Terrible turn. Rest in the process of when. Okay? If God speaks somewhere in time, you, you have to realize that He's the God that oversees time. He's not in it. This is why He's able to see yesterday, today, and tomorrow in one glance. He's in kahiros, or, or, or eternal time. You and I are in chronos, or tick, 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 tick kind of time. And God is able, when He speaks something at some point on this line, He drops His promise in there. It happens. When He speaks it, it happens somewhere in time. And then all you got to do is run into it. You just got to keep on going. Keep on having faith. Keep on believing. And at some point, your time and God's time lines up, and it's beautiful. And something unfolds in you that's exciting and fresh and great, and it's new, and it's life-giving, and it fulfills the promise. And it becomes a testimony for us. Third, the impossible problem. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, he goes on and says, By faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Verse 12, And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, isn't that good, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the shore. Abraham's a hundred, still doesn't have an heir with Sarah. The Bible says Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them that they would have a child. They even named their baby Isaac, which means laughter. The impossible problem is when our test number three, and that's how. Like, I'm hearing from God, but I don't know how any of this is going to happen. I remember we had a big goal and a dream for our city to have and to be a part of a church that was life-giving, that was vibrant, that was influential, that had, had things going on in it where people could come and be saved and baptized and full of the Holy Spirit and live lives that were adventurous and great. And, but how? I tell people often, I remember a time where David Bunting and his team led to a group of people that were smaller in number than the people on the stage. How? How 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 is this going to happen? This is not foreign to y'all. You looked at your life and said, "How? 
how is this, is this big old dream in mine going to play out? I, I just don't, don't see it. I look at my resources. I look at my network. I look at the stage of life I'm in. I look, and, and, and we're notorious for gathering the reasons why none of this should happen. How? And we look to God. How is this going to happen? How are you going to set us free from, from Egypt? How are we going to cross the Red Sea? How are we going to take care of all these enemies that are out here? How in the world? going to happen. How? 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 Some of you are discouraged right now and you just don't know how God's going to do it. Maybe financially. You look at your finances and you go, how? Am I going to even pull this together? I got kids going to go to college. Things are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. How? You've just gone through a terrible circumstance. Maybe a d- divorce you didn't want and you look at your life and you go, how am I ever going to be happy again? How? How am I going to step in, into ministry? How am, how am I going to stay married? How? Okay, test number four. Let me start to lay in this a little bit. Is when we wrestle with the senseless. Test four is not the where, the when, or the how. It's, it's, it's the why. And I, I, I think we probably... This this is 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 a guess, okay? But I think we probably deal with the why more than anything else. It it visits our life more frequently, and we turn around and we 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 watch the news and go why. We hear the news of a friend and go why. We look at, at people in their in their twenties getting cancer and we go why. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crass, but we we look at at, at, at people who who are responsible people who want to have children and can't, and we go, why? Godly people who lose a job, why? We have this big question mark. Why is the ultimate test? And every believer will eventually face this. Okay? I've told you many times that part of Robbie and my story is that we, we lost a child in 2005. She lived 18 days, and we were able to go twice a day to see her and I think there wasn't a single visit that we stood over her and didn't have this big looming thing of why. It's a battlefield of the mind anytime we face these kinds of things. And I want to fast forward in that story just a little bit. That sweet girl passed away and we had a funeral, cold January funeral, surrounded by people who loved us. And... Four days after that, man, I just fell apart. I, I didn't know where to go, what to do next. I had all these big, big question marks. We had just resigned to church. We were thinking heavily, heavily about going to, to Texas to church plant and because Texans need Jesus. And so we were thinking about doing that, and, and then I just didn't have it in me. I didn't have it in me. And I called the people we were talking to, and I said, we, we just can't come. It's just not going to happen. I mean, we, I just can't do it. And... Some good friends of ours asked us to come to their, their church one weekend just, just to be. And I ended up going there. I can't remember the details here if we knew he was going to be there or not. But one of my favorite communicators of Scripture was going to be there. And he was the president of the first Bible college that I, I attended. I respect him greatly. To this day, I do. And part of his story is they lost a child. And he had written, written this book. And so I went and I got the book. And I wanted him to sign it. And I took it up to him, and I was telling him, I said, I don't know if you remember me, but several, several years ago, I was one of the students at the Bible college. And 
we're kind of catching up a little bit, and I started asking about the the book and our our situation and his and and how they kind of link together. And I said the biggest thing I'm I'm struggling with is why. And I'll never forget this statement. Um, he said, "I think the bigger question is why not." And um, in in a way, it was a little offensive. Because what I wanted him to do was give me permission to be angry at God or, you know, shake my fist in the air and quit the ministry, whatever. Instead, he, he flipped that on me and he said, why, why, why not you? Why, why, what, what, what makes you special? Why are you above the rest of humanity? Is there anything going on in, in your life that means that you are immune to these awful, awful circumstances? And I'll be honest, I put on a good smile and show and hugged him, and I walked away with my tail between my legs because I, I was just like, I, I don't know what to do with that. But the more I soaked on it, the more I realized that it's so true that all these things that we're asking why to, we need to be saying, why not? and just trust the Lord with all of it. I'm talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. Okay, now we've been together long enough for me to talk straight with you because you know that I love you. And so there are a lot of us in this room, man, we've lost some great people. We've been to cemeteries we did not want to go to. You, you, some of you have lost marriages you did not want to lose. You've got kids that are wayward. You've got question marks. You are... You are so talented and gifted and educated, but somebody let, let you go. Um, some of you are underpaid, undervalued. You've got, you've got big, looming question marks about the things that have happened to you. And instead of us being sour and bitter, we have to take those circumstances and let them be a trial that, like, like Peter says, creates genuineness in us because of faith. Not because it all makes sense. Because one of the biggest problems with people like you is that you're smart. And when you're smart, you want it to be calculated and organized and compartmentalized and it all makes sense and da-da-da-da and carry the two and you, you, you got it all figured out. And faith to you is hard. Because you have to go where and when and why and what and still live it by faith. Still throw your hands up and believe that God is the best God that has ever, ever, ever been and ever will be. That all other gods are below Him and that we will still give our lives to Him in totality. In the midst of every trial, this is what makes us different is that we don't have to have it all make sense. And if we don't get this in our faith walk, it will be terrible for us. That we have to get this faith thing in us. Okay, now let me move on to the end because I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. Abraham reasoned through his faith, not through his feelings. Some of us today are willing to trust God as long as he is fixing things, or as long as he's fixing people, or as long as he's fixing finances. But Abraham's mantra is this, and it's something that we have to get. It's just simple. It's this, no matter what happens, I'm trusting God. No matter what, I'm trusting God. When something good happens, I'm trusting God. 
When something bad happens, I'm, I'm trusting God. When something confusing happens, I'm trusting God. This was Abraham's mantra. No matter what happens in my life, I'm going to, by faith, believe that God is, is still the author, and He's still the finisher, and He still loves me deeply. So let, let me close with this. Faith confirms in us that God sees perfectly. If you're a note taker, get this. Faith confirms in us that God sees perfectly. Faith confirms in us that God sees eternally. And faith confirms there is a greater reality that we do not have access to yet. Something else is going on that we don't know. There's a greater plan, a bigger plan. And until we get access to it, we walk by faith and not by sight. And one day, it will open up and be clear and the, all the aha moments will happen. But until then, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So you take your foot and you step over every question mark and you keep on going. By faith. You say goodbye to people you had no intention saying goodbye to by faith. You face the hardest of realities. And you swallow hard and you cry big hot tears and you let them run down down your face by faith. Amen. Why don't you stand with me in the room today? I'm going to pray over you. We're going to have prayer and communion.